My name is Drew the Army. I gotta get a song right now. My name is Drew DeArmond of Alabama Intel. Uh, Thomas Watts, of course, as always, will be manning the uh, manning the controls. And I do believe now I've been joined by uh, my my comrade Kerry Clark. You have. Well, hi, good evening, Kerry. How are you? Pretty good. I was trying to check out some of the uh, College World Series with Vandy and Virginia. Yep. Top of the third inning, Vanderbilt clinging to a one nothing lead. Long way to go. Fairly ironic that the pitcher from Vanderbilt is a guy named Fulmer. Uh, he's too skinny, and he's from Florida, so obviously no relation to our pal Inspector Fatlock. No, no, but he throws 95. Uh, he was their closer early, been moved into the rotation, will be a first-rounder next uh, next summer. Uh, he uh, is in his third start of the tournament, so you can tell Bandy's done well and been able to uh, space out their pitching here. Uh, but Virginia is also in pretty good shape. But uh, Vandy should have be up two nothing. Kind of ran themselves out of an inning in the first. But uh, off to still a pretty strong start. And uh, I think right now uh, I'm the way I'm watching this baseball game is uh, I'm looking at the two top candidates. Should Alabama make a change in the near future? I don't know if they'd be able to procure the services of either uh, gentleman, but I think they should try. Well, it never hurts to try. Uh... This next year in Hoover is going to tell the tale as far as the future of, of Mitch Gaspar. There's, there's not any doubt about that. And speaking of uh, sports that are played on a diamond, uh, we learned late this afternoon that the Alabama softball team, for the first time in program history, uh, is going to go international, and they're going to play in Australia. <laughs> Now, this is this is a great story. Uh, it says Alabama softball will be going international for the first time in program history as 16 players from the 2014 roster and select staff members will be making a 10-day trip, let me correct myself, to the Netherlands, not Australia. Uh, the Netherlands, but still a cool trip. And it starts on August 4th, 
So I guess they don't get to take the new freshmen, which is a shame. But it's good that they get to take the, the players that they do get to take. So uh, that's that's a pretty cool story. The Netherlands and Alabama softball, and uh, people are already asking, how do you say Roll Tide in Dutch? I don't know that answer, but I'm sure that somebody will Google it and come up with that. That being said, Drew, uh, tons and tons and tons going on in the world of Alabama football recruiting. And uh, uh, all three of our guests have to do with that tonight. At 8.30, we'll be joined by your uh, your cohort, William Redfish Barger of AlabamaIntel.com. At 9 o'clock, we will be joined by Coach Steinberg of uh, uh, fame of coaching Blake Barnett uh, from Coronado, California. And at 9.30, my comrade from Scout.com, BamaMag.com, John Garcia. So uh, it looks like a riveting 90 minutes of guests. And uh, so you and I really only have about 25 more minutes to uh, really shoot the bull and things of that nature. So um, what what light can you shed, Drew, for those people that are just uh, busting the gut because Alabama lost a three-star and a – about a three-and-a-half star yesterday, and I say lost in quotes to Auburn. Well, you know, I, I, it's been well documented on this show. You know, Tyler Carr is a good football player, a uh, pretty good offensive line prospect. Uh, you know, um, he's uh, he, he, he has slow feet, but very, very nice frame, you know, in the 6'5 range, you know, over 300 pounds. But, again, for Alabama, right now Alabama needs, you know, two offensive tackles. That's the biggest need. Uh, you know, Brandon Kennedy is a center prospect from Wetumpka High School who they just offered. And he's really – he's a luxury. He's a, he's a guy that's too good, I think, to pass on. You need to try to press for him. But, uh, again, they need two offensive tackles. Tyler Carr does not have the feet, in my opinion, to play offensive tackle in the SEC uh, you know, it's, it's hard for people to believe, but he, I don't believe Alabama pressed for his commitment. Uh, he did come visit several times, but on his own dime. And the coaches liked him, but, again, they did not, you know, pressure him to commit and, and do so. I'm not even sure they would have taken his commitment. Uh, Auburn basically told Tyler Carr that he had until July 1st to decide if he wanted Auburn's offer, and Auburn would have moved on. So he decided he wanted to commit to Auburn. I think it was the best move for him. Uh, Jalen Harris in the last month, has, his profile had gone up, you know, exponentially. Uh, he had camped at LSU, earned an offer, camped at Vanderbilt, earned an offer. Same way with two two appearances at Alabama, did the same. And then Auburn offered him. Uh, but it, what it was was basically, you know, and Jalen, he claims he grew up an Alabama fan, and I'm sure he did. But obviously in the last calendar year, uh, and, he, and he claimed since the 10th grade that Auburn had been recruiting him, and, uh, and I'm sure they had been. And obviously – but in the last calendar year with the, how well Auburn and Gus Malzahn had done, he was waiting on the Auburn offer. Once Auburn uh, offered him, that's where that's you know basically where he wanted to go. His mother loved Auburn, and so he went to Auburn. I don't really think he fits what they do. Uh, they like to use flex tight ends like C.J. Azuma. He's not that kind of guy. He's more of an inline blocking tight end, but he's going to need to redshirt, build his body up. He was far from a finished product. But, you know, I think he's somebody that Alabama could have developed but, again, he decided he wanted to go to Auburn. And so I don't think either one of them is a huge loss. I think Jalen's solid. Uh, I think Alabama has done better already than Tyler Carr with Richie Pettibon and Lester Cotton and Dallas Warmack. And, so, and, and again, they, and, they're, and they're still in the Brandon Kennedy sweepstakes. So we'll see. But I, I just don't think it's a 
something to have angst if you're an Alabama fan because there's been a lot of you know consternation about well Auburn's winning the in-state battle. Alabama's got five commits in the state. Auburn's got four. Auburn's about to get their fifth with Darrell Williams and Jess Lanier, but there's only two guys that Alabama would take off of those five, and that is Carryon Johnson and Jalen Harris. Well, I think we might have lost Kerry, but Drew, we I did manage to get Redfish, and uh, he's ready okay. to go on. So do you want to go on and bring him on for us? Yeah, sure, no problem. Uh, you know, first of all, BAMS Radio, uh, we are glad to welcome our first guest to the show tonight, a uh, guy that I've worked very closely with in the last few years. He's already been on with us once in the past few weeks, but uh, he's uh, able to be on with us again tonight. Has a lot of insight into the Alabama football program, and, into, and he's a very good evaluator in the recruiting aspect. But, uh, you know, he also won a national championship with Alabama on the 1992 national championship team. Where, you know, we're, we're honored to welcome William Redfish Barger on, on the show. Uh, welcome, William. How are you doing tonight? Doing great, Drew, man. I, like I said, I, I want to apologize to, uh, you know, you and Carrie. I know I'm supposed to be on, you know, I think the two previous Wednesdays. And, unfortunately, sometimes uh, keeping the bills paid and doing my day job prevents that from happening. But I'm, I'm tickled to death to be able to join you guys tonight. We're glad yeah. to have you, William. It's always great to talk to you. Uh, love to pick your brain. Uh, in regard to the uh, bevy of Alabama fans who were just uh, – just regurgitating this morning because Alabama lost a, a low four-star and a, and a three-star yesterday. I, William, you know how I love to compare players, even when I get the death stare from Saban about it. Uh, I look at Tyler Carr, and I see Spencer Region, and I, I look at Jalen Harris, and I see Chris Underwood. Uh, am I close? You know, I, 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 <laughs> sorry, you made me laugh at those two comparisons. That was the um, idea. I, yeah. I, no, I, I don't think Tyler Carr is, is – is, I don't think it's fair to Tyler Carr to compare him to Spencer Region. Um, you know, I agree with Drew. And, and, you know, and I think that any Alabama fan um, that, that's having some angst about, you know, either one of these guys going to Auburn kind of needs to you – know, I, I try and tell people this all the time. Even without inside information or contacts on coaching staff, I think if people will just put their thinking caps on and, and take a step back from the process and, and reading, um, you know, propaganda and nonsense on message boards at times, you know, look look at Tyler Carr's recruitment. Look how long he waited before he committed to Auburn. Um, you know, granted, some people view him as a legacy. You know, his father played rugby for Auburn, not football, but I guess that's not a, a far-fetched you know, label to put on him, but but there's a reason that he waited so long. He, he was looking for a committable offer from Alabama, and Alabama, Alabama did their due diligence. They evaluated him for one position and one position only, and that was for offensive tackle. And he is not capable of playing offensive tackle in the SEC. Um, you know, for Alabama fans, if you want some, some comparisons of, of what might have happened if, if Tyler Carr ever lines up at offensive tackle, instead of Spencer Region, hit the rewind button to 2005 and thank Kyle Tatum and Chris Capps. Exactly. You know, both, guys, both guys that probably could have been serviceable offensive guards that Alabama stuck out there on the edge at offensive tackle and asked them to do something that they're not physically capable of doing. Um 
you know, I agree with Drew. I think Tyler Carr is a good football player, but he doesn't have the feet to play offensive tackle, and I question whether he's ever going to have what I like to call the nasty to be an interior guy. Um, you know, in a good strength and conditioning program, and, and I think, again, a lot of times when people get upset about kids choosing a, a certain program over the other, you know, both Tyler Carr and Jalen Harris, in my opinion, um, factor in sooner rather than later at Auburn versus where they would have factored in at Alabama. Um, you know, Jalen Harris is a kid. He's you know six four and a, and a, and a you know a couple of ch- you know a couple pieces of change. I think he's probably closer to six four than he is six five. You know, he's two hundred and thirty five, two hundred and forty pounds. He basically plays private school ball down in Montgomery. You know, the only film you can look at him on as far as blocking as an inline blocker, which is what Alabama needs. You know, they've already got, you know, a guy like O. J. Howard and the Hensis kid that are, you know, wide receivers first, then tight ends at that position. And they signed the you know, the Flannery Smith guy who's more of an H back than he is an inline tight end this year. Um you know, do I think Alabama would have taken a commitment from Tyler Carr? No. Do I think Alabama would have taken a commitment from Jalen Harris? Yeah, I think they probably would have. But he is such a downgrade, in my opinion, from who my number one overall player for this class based on need and available talent for a certain position in Jackson Harris, who went to Georgia. I'm glad they didn't take him. Um, you know, sometimes I think it's better for coaching staffs to take their medicine and move on to the next year's class and try and regroup and get the number one to, you know, number two player at that position on next year's board versus going four and five deep, um, you know, for a guy that they could get this year. You know, me personally, Kerry, um, I think there's a guy that's already committed to Alabama that really a lot lines up very similarly to what Michael Williams came to campus with, and that's Anthony Jennings, the, the defensive end commitment from Dayton. Um, you know, very very much the same size that Mike Williams came out of high school at. And a lot of people have forgotten that Mike Williams spent a lot of time at defensive end before Joe Pendry made the call and moved tight in. Um, yeah, you, you know, this is a kid he did, that he was, was with a, the Tommy Jack. Sorry, and, and you know, this is a kid that was, you know, uh, Jennings was a six foot three, two hundred and ten pound wide receiver, you know, in the ninth and tenth grade. You know, now he's up to two sixty. I know he did very well at Alabama's camp a couple of weeks ago, um, as far as rushing the passer and, and you know, flashing as a defensive end prospect. But when you look at Alabama's depth at defensive end versus their depth as you know, as far as needing an inline tight end, to me it would make more sense to, to give this guy a first look at tight end based on, you know, we're, we're loaded, or Alabama, I should say, is loaded at defensive end with the last two recruiting classes. So you might already have the guy that they were looking for as the inline blocker, you know, the inline tight end. Um, you know, to me that was the biggest missing link last year um, you know, a lot of people have given Alabama's offensive line a lot of serious criticism. Some of it was justified. Uh, but to me, the biggest thing that was missing on the 2013 team in the run game 
versus 2012 was the absence of Mike Williams. And I think a month or so ago, the Detroit Lions pulled the trigger and moved Mike Williams from tight end to offensive tackle. And that's what you need for Nick Saban's ground-and-pound running game to get back to where it was two years ago. i got to give you credit, William. You, you, you read my mind. My next question was going to be what you thought about Jennings as a tight end. So thank you for that. I'm going to have to call an audible now. Uh, what do you think about if, if they leave Jennings at defensive end, which, you know, I, I and you are both convinced they probably won't. If they leave Jennings at defensive end, do you see a possibility because of the role this guy's going to play of uh, Brandon Green moving back to tight end next year? You know, I, I was a little bit disgruntled, Kerry, that they – and I understand because, you know, you've got to give – and that's one of the things that I do love about Mario Cristobal as an offensive line coach is the amount of time and the amount of effort that I've seen him take in trying to find the best five combination to put out on the field as far as offensive linemen go. Um you know, every scrimmage I went to in the spring, I never saw the only two constants at, at their positions in the spring were Ari Kwanjo at left guard, Ryan Kelly at, at, at center. I never saw another player get first-team reps at those two spots in the spring. You know, they even took their best returning offensive lineman, in my opinion, in Austin Shepard, and then played him at left tackle, you know, for, for – quite a few reps, you know, just to see if, if, you know, maybe he was the guy to put there and maybe Grant Hill was ready to take over at right tackle. Um, but, yeah, I think Brandon Green, um, it, you know, I think they've got to make that decision sooner rather than later, um, you know, because does he bulks back up a little bit, you know, in the spring to play tackle. But, you know, if they want to do that, you know, they need to, you know, get them off of the two ribeyes and two chicken breasts for dinner plan at night and peel some weight back off of him. And, you know, and I think, you know, Lane Kiffin or, or, you know, maybe a a different play caller besides Doug Nussmeyer, um, and I'm not being critical of of Nuss. I'm a big Nuss fan. But, you know, he was very predictable last year with play calling when Brandon Green was in at tight end. I mean, if he was in, they were running the football. Um. You know, and I just think that, 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 you know, like we're going back to the Jackson Harris kid, um, and I've got a lot of Joe Kendry in me. I kind of look at the players the same way that he does, you know, going back to Mike Williams, who was a tight end in college, now an offensive tackle and at the NFL level. You know, this Jackson Harris kid, slam dunk prospect as an inline tight end. Um, you know, 10, 20, uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, somebody like Jimmy Johnson or Butch Davis might have taken a Jackson Harris and put 30 or 40 more pounds on him and turned him into a left tackle. You know, that's the kind of guy that, that this offense needs. You know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, Lane Kiffin changing this and Lane Kiffin doing that. You're not going to see any wholesale changes. It's, you might see, you know, Amari Cooper or, um, you know, Derrick Henry or O.J. Howard get more touches but it's still going to be the same run-first philosophy, and that's not ever going to change as long as Nick Saban's the head football coach. Yeah, I agree, William, and I, I, I agree on your takes. I, I think there, even though he's uh, he did test well at defensive end, can, depending on how the class turns out, and like you said, with the depth and with some of the other young players that Alabama will bring in in the future, such as, I think, a D.J. Jones, 
But I think there's a good chance Anthony Jennings could move the tight end. He's a good enough athlete, too. I mean, and he seemed uh, open to it. He just said Coach Saban had told him he liked his versatility. But I guess the, the one thing I want to ask about is another offensive lineman. Uh, and I know you had some insight into that today, but I, I've tried to get in touch with his coach, tried to get in touch with the young man. Obviously, they're not wanting to talk right now because he is in a situation where he's trying to get his work done. But uh, kind of talk about a, a kid that Montel McBride, he's an offensive line signee. He's one of the only two guys besides Bo Scarborough who's well-documented who hasn't reported. But kind of talk about some of the info you found out today about Montel McBride. Well, and again, um, you know, I think Montel McBride, and, and I love any time, you know, the coaching staff signs kids like that, that they have the versatility to play multiple positions. You know, I'm still not convinced that if Montel McBride can get his academics in order, you know, everybody now all of a sudden that the reports have come out that Josh Frazier, um, you know, is, is impressing. You know, somebody, you know, asked me today if, you know, if I thought Josh Frazier was, you know, going to be a little bit more athletic and a little bit maybe a, a polished-up version of Josh Chapman, well, no. Um, he, he's a lot more comparable to Jaron Reed and Marcel Darius than, than Josh Chapman. Josh Chapman was a zero-technique run stuffer at nose guard, and Josh Frazier and Jaron Reed, which we saw in the spring, he spent more time at defensive end than he did at nose. Um, you know, I, I think it's more – you know, Josh Frazier's more comparable to Jaron Reed, Marcel Darius, and Ashawn Robinson. You know, those are the kind of guys that I think Alabama needs to bring in on a consistent basis to deal with these hurry-up, no-huddle spread teams. You know, a guy like, you know, Brandon Ivory, um, there's just only so much that Brandon Ivory can do. He does a pretty good job of, um, you know, stuffing the run, you know, on first and ten situations or the short when they go with their heavy defensive line look. But, you know, you need guys that have lateral quickness and good movement to deal with, you know, the Auburns and the Old Misses and, and you know, the Oklahomas of the world. Um, and I think Montel McBride, you know, could he be a very good offensive guard prospect? Sure. But I think I feel the same way about him as being maybe a great replacement for Alabama losing Matt Elam to Kentucky. And, and maybe he ends up being over there on the other side of the ball at nose guard. Um, you know, I think the Alabama coaching staff and, and, you know, the people that I talk to have been very consistent since National Signing Day with their, you know, their information and what they've been willing to share about, you know, all three of the guys that didn't report, you know, May 28th. You know, Bo Scarborough, Johnny Dwight, Marshall McBride. You know, Dwight was a, you know, kind of a, a – technicality deal on his, you know, exit exam. He's gotten an exemption. He'll be here, you know, in July. You know, Bo Scarborough took the ACT for the last time um, June 14th. Those results should be back right around between July 1st and the July 4th weekend. Um, You know, in the interim, he's been taking three virtual classes online, you know, kind of as an insurance policy in case he didn't make the, the two-point improvement that he needed on his ACT. But as long as Bo does what Bo's supposed to do with these virtual classes, um, Bo will be fine and Bo will be there in August. You know, it may not be August 1st. You, all, you guys both know how the, the clearinghouse works up in Indianapolis. They'll drag their feet as long as they can, like you saw them do with Robert Foster last year. Um, but, you know, Montel McBride, 
has a very good chance of becoming a full qualifier and then coming to Alabama at some point in time in August. But it's all up to him. You know, he's got to do the work. He's got to make the grades. And, you know, hopefully that has a happy ending. Yeah, and I, I don't think there's any doubt that both of the young men uh, and, well, and even Johnny Dwight, he'll be getting here a little bit later. But I think all three of those guys, there's a good chance. And I know how good an athlete Bo is, but we saw what, what you know, how – far behind Robert Foster was, and he had the red shirt. It wouldn't surprise me if all three of the guys have the red shirt, but I still think they're all three really good players, and I think Bo can be, you know, a really good weapon at two or three different places offensively. But, uh, and you know, it's going to be interesting because I, I agree with you. I think Bo has, you know, he's done everything they've asked of him. He's taken the, you know, the uh, online classes. I think there's a really good chance he's going to make it. We'll see on McBride. I hope so. Like you said, a lot of times uh, the clearinghouse may have something to do with that. We'll see how long they drag their feet. But uh, I think Dwight's probably are. He's already you know done with that. He'll he should definitely be here in July. But that's going to be really interesting to see. And now what I'm willing to willing to see is, and that's what I talked about when you came on. Now, Alabama with the Tyler Carr situation. I don't. I really even Daryl Williams, who will more than likely commit to Auburn. Uh, uh, Thursday, and Daryl is a very good player. But, I mean, I think Alabama, their need is offensive tackle, and I think you agree with that. They need a couple of offensive tackles, and the July camp is going to be huge in that situation. Obviously, they, they've they identified Drew Richmond as somebody they really want, and uh, obviously the, I think the other OT is going to work itself out. And uh, obviously, by uh, probably by some kids uh, like Matt Burrell and George Brown Jr. visiting in uh, in July. And I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on. I know you watch a lot of film of these guys. Who is who is the guy besides Drew Richmond that you really like? I mean, besides the obvious, the, the Ivy kid. Well, you know, when I was on hold, I was listening to you and Kerry talk, and and you know, the the, the one guy, you know, and and. You know, I was screaming from the mountaintop last year about, you know, Alabama dragging their feet on offering, um, you know, Josh Cash. Um, yeah. You know, talked talk to a, a current player, you know, on the team over the weekend. And, you know, the, the feedback that I got from him was, you know, it's a shame that he's only six foot one. I'm talking about Josh Cash because um, mm-hmm. he's got the feet to play offensive tackle. And, wow, you know, and, and, he's got, and he's got the nasty that you want. Um, and, and according to this particular current player, he's going to be a starter um, in, in a couple of different packages, you know, on the defensive line this year. Um, he's been the most impressive of all the freshman offensive linemen that came in at the end of May. I'm not talking about Cameron Robinson. Uh, right. So I, I think Brandon Kennedy is way too talented, especially if Alabama – um, you know, can't can't bring in a Drew Richmond or, you know, some of these other offensive tackles that they're, you know, chasing after. I think Brandon Kennedy is way too talented, um, you know, of an interior offensive line player to to pass on. And, you know, if he goes to Auburn, I think it's a loss for Alabama. Um, I don't think after watching how quickly Cameron Robinson you know, took control of that left tackle position. And, you know, people will sit there and say, well, you know, he didn't take control of it until a week before the 8A game. You know, he should have been going to his senior prom, not the 8A game. You know, what he did in 30 days, you know, there were two guys that I saw go from being completely lost on the first day of spring practice to the 8A game to 
basically putting themselves in a position, and, you know, in Cam's you know, spot, he won the job. But the other one that I saw go from being a non-factor from day one to looking pretty good, and, and from the reports that I'm getting, I, I'm almost convinced that we might see a three-headed monster competing for the quarterback job. The other one was Cooper Bay. Um, but when you start talking about the offensive tackles, you know, I think the fact that Cam was able to go out there and get get as you know get as comfortable as he did in such a short period of time is is huge for the offensive line this year. And then Dominic Jackson coming in, you know, the coaching staff's mindset with with Dom Jackson, you know, at least going into practice, you know, they're going to put him behind Leon Brown and let him compete for the right guard spot. And if he can't win that job, then he's going to back up Cam at left tackle. He's going to see time at both spots. So I think with you know Cam doing what he did in the spring and Dominic Jackson coming on campus this summer, that, that, that tackle spot is, is not really as big of an issue as I thought it was you know, back in March when spring practice kicked off. You know, you've got Austin Shepard coming back for his senior year. You know, I think Grant Hill showed enough things last year as a true freshman out of the gate. You know, maybe offensive guard is his best position, uh, but I certainly am convinced that he can be a serviceable to, to a pretty good SEC right tackle. So, you know, I, I agree with you, Drew. You know, Alabama, you know, in a, in a perfect scenario, would love to bring in, you know, two more offensive tackles in this class with, with Drew Richmond and, you know, obviously Martez Ivy being the two leading candidates for that those two spots. But if they can't get one or, or none, um, then, then then you circle back around and you start looking at the recruiting board and you say, okay, we didn't get the two offensive tackles that we wanted. Maybe we need to take a Brandon Kennedy. Maybe he's too good to pass up. Because I do think that, that you've got some interesting possibilities in both Lester Cott and Richie Pettibone, who, in my opinion, could probably be serviceable to good guys at every position across the offensive line. So I think they're in a in a much better situation than I was expecting them to be in along the offensive line from a recruiting standpoint than they were back in March. Absolutely. And, uh, and obviously you mentioned him in, in your thoughts there, but – uh, from all you, the people you've talked to, obviously so far so good as far as Dominic Jackson, obviously with how he's looked physically and the way he's uh, he's acclimating himself, uh, correct? Well, it's not just Dominic Jackson, Drew. I, I think the thing that, that you know, the, 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 and you've known me long enough to know, you know, how I try and do this. You know, I always try and have, you know, a source on the coaching staff and also a source on the team with current players. And, right. you know, my, my source on the team right now, the one thing that he keeps telling me over and over again is, is just how phenomenal the team chemistry is um, mm-hmm. with, with this group of, of current players versus, you know, the, the freshmen that just came in at the end of May. You know, you've got guys like Rashawn Evans, um, you know, I, I don't know if, if people can kind of put this into perspective. You're talking about a kid that's, you know, 6'4", 225 pounds. He can bench press his own body weight 25 times. And, then, you know, 
I'm not a huge fan of a bench press marathon, but that's impressive for somebody that's not any bigger than that. Just, just so people understand, a guy like Jesse Williams that supposedly could bench press 600 pounds once could only go to the NFL Combine and do it 27 times. And, oh, by the way, Rashawn Evans, on top of all that other good stuff, ran a 4-5-40 when they tested him out. Um, you know, great work ethic. You know, got all the God-given ability in the world, um, but he, he's got the work ethic of a walk-on trying to make the, the 85-man roster. You know, the same thing's being said about Deshaun Hand. Um, you know, the one guy that I keep getting just glowing reports about over and over is Tony Brown. You know, these upperclassmen are very well aware of the fact that he's a, a world-class athlete. I mean, he's a guy that if he decides to dedica- dedicate himself to that aspect of his athletic career one day, he might have a chance to make the U.S. Olympic team. He's that good of a sprinter. And, you know, I've been told on numerous occasions um, – we don't know if he's going to make, if he's going to win the starting job at one of the corner spots or not. But we've never seen a guy that has absolutely killed himself for the last six months in trying to do so. So, you know, you keep hearing these good things. Um, you know, the, the, the upperclassmen are, you know, complaining about all the true freshmen, you know, coming to. You know, their, their houses, the ones that live off campus, and they're having to kick them out at 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night because they want to hang out and build relationships with the current players. You know, that's, that's the stuff that championship teams are made of. I mean, you've got to have the talent. You've got to have the coaching. But, you know, people that have never been inside those locker rooms before, you know, at the collegiate or the NFL level don't understand just how important that team chemistry was. Well, Alabama wasn't an untalented team in, in 2013. Probably the most talented team in the country on paper. But right. that lack of team chemistry and the division and, and some of the um, you know kids that weren't bought in and, and were unsatisfied with being true freshmen, new kids on campus, divided that team. And I'm not hearing anything along those lines about what's going on down there this summer. And I, you know, more more of this stuff that I get, the more reports I get on that stuff, it gets me excited. You know, we're you know starting next week. I think we're you know T-minus away from fall camp kicking off. Yep. William, our chat room has begun to fire off questions, and uh, you read their mind on their first question. It was concerning Dominic Jackson, but their next question is: uh, There's running. One running back already committed in the 2015 class, Desherius Flowers. How many do you see in this class? And if so, who would be the others? Well, you know, and, and look, I, I, if you bring somebody on your show to Sunshine Pump, I'm the wrong guy. Um, nah, we don't. You know, losing Javon Robinson to Auburn was a huge blow, in my opinion, um, to Alabama for a couple of different reasons. Number one, if you rewind this whole tape back to his the summer of his, you know, going into his senior year, if Alabama didn't discover the transcript discrepancies on Javon Robinson's high school transcript, Alabama fans never get to find out whether T.J. Yeldon was capable of playing running back or not because that was Nick Saban's number one running back target. Um, if you look at what Javon Robinson did 
in the JUCO National Championship game for Georgia Military College. There is not one legitimate SEC offensive line prospect at Georgia Military College this year. Um, the team that he faced in East Mississippi Junior College had D.J. Petway and Jaron Reed, who everybody has seen how quickly they factored in, and both of them in certain situations will be starters day one on Alabama's defensive line. Not to mention, you know, a kid that Drew just talked about, D.J. Jones, um, who's the number one JUCO defensive lineman for the 2015 class. Um, Javon Robinson wrote up 279 yards on all three of those guys with very little elite offensive line blocking in front of. So, you know, he was obviously the number one guy on Alabama's board. You know, they're not going to stop recruiting him. Um, I don't know if that situation can be turned around or not. Um, the, the next guy on Alabama's board at running back, it's going to be a tough pull to get him away from Florida State, but it's Jacquez Patrick. Um, prototypical Nick Saban running back. You know, this was a kid when he was in the ninth grade when I first saw him. You know, it kind of looked like Eddie George um, at Ohio State, the Tennessee Titans, just a big, you know, you know, physical guy between the tackles. You know, has good speed, not elite speed, but you know, he's between the tackles, downhill runner. Um, and again, I think Alabama's in a situation if they can't flip Javon Robinson, if they can't flip, um, I mean, excuse me, if they can't get Jacquez Patrick, if Bo Scarborough qualifies and you've already got Sherius Flowers, you know, committed, you know, I think Alabama's coaching staff would be, um, making the best decision not to go any deeper on the running back depth chart than to get into a situation like they did two years ago where they loaded up and took four, and you kind of saw how that whole thing worked out. So um, I just don't necessarily think that that Alabama needs to get into a a panic mode um, at the running back spot. I mean, you know, let's just say that, that both Yeldon and Drake go pro after this year. You know, you've still got Al T. Tenpenny, Tyron Jones, Derrick Henry, Bo Scarborough on campus. Um, you know, if Flowers sticks at running back, there's five. That's plenty. Um, you know, sit back and let's see what happens with some of these running backs in 2016. Yeah, very, you know, there's a lot of needs. There's a lot of other needs. We've already talked about tight end. Uh, we've talked about offensive tackle. Um, you know, after what I saw in the spring, I hope there's an elite kicker and punter wandering around out there. <laughs> yeah, you got to hope J.K. Scott is going to be the real deal, at least at the punting situation. He may be able to do everything. Uh, he did. He punted, kicked off, and place kicked in Denver in Mullen High School, and we'll see what happens there. You know, Kerry, ironically, did get a small smidgen of a look at him at the at Coach Saban's kicking camp, but I believe, Kerry, if it's correct, you did not see him uh, do any kicking. Is that right? No, it was too damn hot outside. And my nephew's a long snapper, William, and I was inside. Thank God they kept them inside. Uh, and so I, I stayed with him most of the day. Uh, I did go outside for a couple minutes to watch some of the field goal kickers. But it was just so humid, and I couldn't handle it. I had to go back in there with the with the, with the young nephew. Uh, I, the, the irony, I saw a kid from North Carolina who's a rising senior 
make a 55-yard field goal, that was held inside. What I saw J.K. doing was hold. Right. And I also saw uh, a younger brother, a young Rayburn from Louisiana, who apparently is the younger brother of Gunnar Rayburn, who is walking on this August and invited walk on. And, you know, Drew, you're always telling me not to sleep on people. I, I say don't sleep on Gunnar Rayburn as possibly winning the kicking job. Well, you know, and that's what happened with uh, Jeremy Shelley. He came in as a, basically an academic kid uh, and walked onto the football team, and then he had a really good, you know, four- or five-year run there, really four. But he had a really good run. Uh, he was discounted every year, but he was consistent and had a very good year. And then people forget, in 2012, his senior year, he didn't miss a kick. So, I mean, he, you know, he didn't have a ton of range, but he made the kicks. And what, what, I mean, the Alabama would have given anything to have him last year. Uh, in the Auburn game, the ball game would have been over. And so that just goes to show you, uh, they, they, you know, that place kicking can play a huge part in everything. And hopefully, you know, one of those two guys, J.K. Scott, Gunnar Rayburn, maybe Griffith will, you know, finally, you know, you know, work out the kinks. But we'll see. I know he's probably going to be on a short leash in the fall. But I agree with William. That's going to be one of the biggest uh, areas, in my opinion. Even uh, Jacob Coker, of course, the, the, the pressure point is going to be on him from the jump. Uh, but I really believe – He's going to have weapons around him. The, the the biggest issue going into fall camp is place kicking and punting, and that that needs to work itself out because it's a critical part uh, of the special teams uh, unit. You got to have solid special teams if you're going to be a championship team. We in the chat room would like to know uh, what uh, or do you, as an evaluator, and based on the conversations you've had with your sources, do you think Jacob Coker will live up to the hype, William? You know, I've been talking to Drew about this since last fall, Kerry. And, you know, on paper, um, and I'll go ahead and, and, and move this up to, to not just with Coker, but with also David Cornwell. I'm not sure that any college program has ever had two quarterbacks on paper that are as similar in what they bring to the field as Jacob Coker and David Cornwell. You know, if you, if you look at their measurables, they're the same height. Coker's a little bit thicker than Cornwell is um, weight-wise. They both have strong arms. Um, they both can run. You know, they're both four-seven guys. Um, you know, Kerry, I, I personally just can't get past the fact that Jacob Coker couldn't beat out Rick, uh, Rick Trickett, Clint Trickett, two years ago. Um, does he have everything that you look for in an elite quarterback on paper? Absolutely. Um, but, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's a friend of mine, and, and I've, I've talked to him, and to me he's probably one of the best evaluators I've ever seen at, at you know for every position. And, you know, the thing that he's, he told me back in December that, that has stuck with me on Coker is that despite all the elite measurables, that Coker's got slow eyes. And what I mean by that is, he makes slow decisions in live scrimmage or game-type situations. Um, you know, if you've got a John Elway-type arm like Jacob Coker does, you can overcome those slow reads at times if you're able to fit a ball in a tight window um, with, with arm velocity. Um, you know, again, all the talk about, you know, the Jacob Coker versus the Blake Sims battle, I'm just telling you guys, and I was, you know, one of the main people that thought, you know, Cooper Bateman was, was a disaster this time last year. Um, the kids come a long way in a short amount of time, and Lane Kiffin is very impressed with what he did 
you know, in a, in a 30-day stretch back in the spring. And, I, and I'm just trying to, you know, give everybody a heads up. You know, don't fall asleep on Cooper Bateman in this quarterback race. I'm not saying that he's going to be the starter. But when you start looking at how quarterback uh, coaches and, and football coaches evaluate these kids, um, nobody on the Alabama staff thought that Cameron Robinson, based on his first week of practice back in March, was going to be in any kind of position to win the left tackle job, but he did. Um, I, you know, I love what, everything that Jacob Coker brings to the table as a quarterback. You know, he was a, a guy that had, you know, D2-level basketball offers as a, as a two-guard in basketball coming out of high school. Um, but I want to see him prove it in, in a live scrimmage situation before I buy into the hype. And, you know, if, if Alabama had a proven field goal kicker and a proven punter, um, I've got no worries at all about the defense. Um, you know, to me, you know, I think Drew's already touched on it. If Mario Cristobal can find, um, you know, an offensive line at the level that it was last year, and I think that's the realistic expectation, um, you know, you don't lose a guy like Cyrus Quanjo and Anthony Steen and expect that offensive line to be better. You just hope that it's as good as it was last year. Um, you know, if they can find a punter, a kicker, and, you know, uh, a serviceable offensive line, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Jacob Coker or Blake Sims. Alabama's got a chance to beat everybody on their schedule with the skilled players they've got on offense. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. I think that's the – the kicker and the punter is very crucial. Uh, I think if, if the bottom line with the QB situation is going to be decision-making and not turning the football over, and I think that will play itself out in fall camp. And I agree with you. I think Cooper Bateman came a long way. I mean, he shocked everybody from the first scrimmage on. Uh, his decision-making was a lot better. His accuracy improved. He was always a good athlete, and he will be able to bring uh, a capability of making plays with his leg, and as, as will Jacob Coker and, you know, Blake Sims. I think all three of them bring that aspect to them. Uh, they can all make plays with their legs. They can all improvise, get outside the pocket. And to be honest, it goes to your point about the team chemistry on the team. The one thing that I've been impressed with that I've heard is despite the fact that, you know, a lot of people don't have him winning the job, you know, Blake Sims has been a team guy. He's been trying to bring help uh, bring Bateman along, been trying to help, you know, Coker make the transition. you got to tip your hat to him because he could, a lot of, like a lot of kids have, he could have transferred out decided to stick around, and he's done everything in his power to try to win the job, you know, working with Maestro and the, and two, to, two to three times already to improve himself as a quarterback. He did have two strong scrimmages, did not have a good A-day, but, again, I think he's improved as a player. And, William, I mean, I know you've been around it. I told some people this. I, You know, hope you, and you've also heard they're going to have a package for Blake, which you would hope so. I mean, he's a uh, – he, he's, he deserves to have a role on the team. And, but the thing about it is, is that even if he doesn't start at quarterback, with what he's shown as a leader, he's kind of set the tone for the rest of the guys, and he could end up being a captain and not even start. I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I think people need to, you know, hit the rewind button on Blake Sims' career. Um, you know, he came in, they tried him at safety, they tried him at slot wide receiver. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he... He's done a great job, you know, the last two years, you know, being the, the backup for, for A.J. McCarron. And, you know, if, if I was Nick Saban or if I was Doug Nussmeyer or, or Lane Kiffin now, 
you know, you wouldn't even have to make one phone call to me to have a package in place for Blake Sims to come in and run the zone read um, one series a half in every game, not just mop-up duty, because it gives opposing defensive coordinators one more thing to worry about, one more thing to game plan for, you know, during the week before they play Alabama. And there's not a bigger Blake Sims fan, um, you know, out there than me. I mean, I, I, I agree with everything that you said. I mean, the guy has given his all to Alabama. He's been the consummate teammate. Um, you know, you've already talked about, you know, the work that he's tried to do with, you know, helping Jacob Coker get comfortable with, with the playbook and developing chemistry with the wide receivers. And I think a lot of times, you know, people don't understand the kind of pressure that it puts on wide receivers, you know, to, to try and develop. You know, every quarterback, when that ball comes out of their hand, it spins a different way, um, you know, for wide receivers have to, you know, to have to make adjustments on the ball and, you know, get used to them. Um, can't say enough positive things about, about Blake Sims. But I think Alabama's quarterback situation, you know, I, I kind of liken it to the running back situation as far as recruiting. Um, you know, with, with Cooper Bateman's rapid emergence in the spring, um, you know, and, and, you know, I didn't get to see enough of him in the spring. You know, I think they kind of protected him a little bit. He, I, don't, I still don't think he was 100%, you know, with his knee. You know, we still don't know just how good or how much potential David Cornwell's got, you know, as a quarterback going down the road. But, you know, you've got, um, you know, Cornwell and Bateman are both basically freshmen. You know, Bateman's a red shirt. Cornwell's a true freshman. You're going to have um, Coker for two more years. Um, sorry, I know there's a lot of reports out there that, that Jacob Coker might win the Heisman Trophy and go pro after this year, but but there's a better chance of all of us hitting the Powerball lottery than that happened. Um, I, I just think it's, you know, when you start talking about the, you know, I know, you know, Drew and I have had this conversation over and over again um, about the 2014 team. There's so many questions at, at several positions. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. You, you never do at this, this point in time. I have a better idea when I see a couple of scrimmages in August. But, you know, for all the Alabama fans out there that are listening, you know, online and and asking questions in the chat room, I really think they need to start looking at 2015 and 2016 because with the the guys that, that Nick Saban has brought in in the last two recruiting classes on the defensive side of the ball, I'm still not convinced that you have seen the best, and, and, you know, this sounds insane because they've had the number one defense in the country, you know, over and over again since 2008. But I'm still not convinced you've seen the best defensive unit that Nick Saban's put out on the football field, and I think you're not going to see it until next year, 2016. And I think it's got a chance to be very special. William, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you uh, your opinion as an evaluator about Another Blake, uh, Blake Barnett, the newest member of the Alabama football family. Uh, we've all seen his videos, very impressive. But uh, what's your take on him as a quarterback and how he'll fit in? You know, Kerry, I, again, you know, going back to 
you know, Tyler Carr and Jalen Harris. And this is just my own personal opinion. Um, you know, if anybody comes on the show, and I know you've got his high school coach scheduled to come on here in a little bit, I don't certainly want to say anything to disparage the young man. Um, obviously, he's a very talented young man. Um, you know, he plays in a high school offense that, in my opinion, is the polar opposite of what Nick Saban looks for in a quarterback. Um, like we talked about earlier, whether Lane Kiffin's the, the offensive coordinator or, you know, somebody out of the Gus Malzahn or Chip Kelly coaching stable becomes the offensive coordinator. I just don't ever see Alabama under Nick Saban, you know, going to a zone read type offense full time. Um, you know, you might see facets of it. You might see, um, you know, glimpses of it. Um, Blake Barnett's a phenomenal athlete. Um, you know, he, he's a, he's a run first guy. If you look at his high school film, um, you know, he's kind of a, you know, a taller, you know, version of Johnny Manziel uh, with the way he's capable of making plays with his feet. Um, you know, the, the one thing that jumped out to me on tape, and I freely admit because I've never played the position before, um, you know, my opinion on, you know, O-linemen, tight end, and front seven guys on defense probably holds a little bit more weight than it does on quarterbacks. But he, he's got a little bit of the uh, Tyler Watts uh, delivery hitch when, when he delivers a football. Um but I do have enough confidence in, in Lane Kiffin based on what I saw him do in a short period of time with Jonathan Crompton at, at Tennessee um, that leads me to believe that he's capable of, of, you know, correcting quarterbacks and making them better than they were once he got a hold of him. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's no secret that, you know, this is a guy that was well down the quarterback board for Alabama, um, you know, once Ricky Town decommitted, you saw the the pecking order that came out with the Stidham kid, and you know they made a run at Josh Rosen out in California, and you know the Dormady kid. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, I just think that you know some of the guys that are on campus now, you know, you know Coker and Cornwell, you know, in particular. Um, might maybe fit that mold at quarterback that Nick Saban looks for a little bit more. But, you know, this is a young guy. Um, I do think that, you know, some of his camp performances that he's had, you know, from March until, um, you know, the first part of June, um, I think he showed some improvement in that area. But, you know, this is a zone read guy that's a run-first quarterback, and we'll see what kind of improvement Lane Kiffin can make with him. You know, maybe he can do the same thing with him that he did with Cooper Bateman in 30 days in March. We'll have to wait and see. Um, But I'm just not somebody that subscribes to the, um, you know, the the coaching and evaluating and recruiting philosophy that you have to take a quarterback in every recruiting class. If it's not the right guy for your system, um, you know, I think like what you saw with with Alabama two years ago when they loaded up on on both Bateman and Parker McLeod. I think you can get yourself in a bad situation in a hurry. Um, you know, if you put the if you hit that panic button at the quarterback spot. Oh, absolutely, and, and, and really, some, just really some great insight, William. As always, 
I mean, uh, we uh, we appreciate you for coming on tonight. I mean, uh, we, uh, we we we're sorry that we had a little bit of a hang up and getting you on a few minutes later, but you've really given us a lot of quality stuff tonight. And I guess that to, in closing, the last question is, what uh what do you think, or or who do you think, where where do you see the recruiting class going from here on? Well, what who are the next pressure points, next uh, prospects that you look to Alabama maybe have bringing on board? Well, you know, Drew, I really don't know um, how much better the recruiting class can get than than where it's at right now. I mean, you know, the the national media basically waved the white flag back in May and, you know, said that, you know, after that flurry of four commitments from, you know, Leo Lewis, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Burgess Becker, and, and Calvin Ridley, uh, you know, after the A-Day game, you know, everybody waved a white flag and said, you know, it's over with. Uh, you know, you've already touched on it. It would be great if they could find, you know, a Drew Richmond and maybe somebody close to him at offensive tackle. Unfortunately, where, you know, Alabama has done a great job in the past, you know, with guys like, uh, you know, James Carpenter and Dominic Jackson, there is, there, you know, and even – you know, if, if Leon Brown ends up winning the right guard spot, even though that's not the position he was recruited to play, um, there just isn't a slam-dunk Juco offensive tackle out there for them to go after. Um, you know, you've still got Darren Payne out there, who I think is a huge priority for Alabama. Um, you know, like you, we talked about earlier, it would be wonderful if – they could flip Javon Robinson and carry on Johnson from Auburn. Um, you know, if, if there was a guy that showed up, you know, a la Amari Cooper for the July camp, um, there was an inline tight end or a place kicker or, a, um, you know, a cornerback, you know, those are certainly all positions where I think they need a little bit more depth. But, you know, the, the big thing that I'm looking for next month when the July camp kicks off is I think you're going to see some finality to the Dallas Warmack Brandon Kennedy situation. Um, right. You know, if, if Dallas Warmack doesn't flip to Georgia um, for their dog night event, then I'm not so sure that Alabama's got the numbers left to take Brandon Kennedy. Um mm-hmm. You know, to me, it's a no-brainer. Um, aside from his last name, there isn't one category that you evaluate offensive linemen at where Dallas Warmack grades are tested out better than Brandon Kennedy. The fact that Brandon Kennedy's got a 4.0 GPA is just an added bonus. Um, right. You know, th- this stuff all moves, you know, so fluidly. Um you know, there were some reports online, you know, yesterday because of some tweets that Makai Brown put out about his Notre Dame offer. Um, you know, people started getting worried about that. Um, you know, there's a good chance, you know, moving on from Dallas Warmack, that there's a good chance that Alabama loses Jonathan Ledbetter to Georgia. So then all of a sudden there's another open spot. Um, you know, I, I know you and I have talked privately, but it's no secret that, you know, I think that the Moten kid from Louisiana's spot in this class is in serious jeopardy from the day that he committed. Right. Um, and I think that's what, um, you know, something that, that I just find 
very interesting. It's it's exciting on one hand because the recruiting has gotten so dynamic under Nick Saban, Drew, and Kerry. You, you guys might even remember this. I can remember, and I think it was 05 or 06, whenever both of them were seniors in high school, I can remember being so excited that Alabama had two kids playing in the Army All-American game. And, and <laughs> you know, one of them was Andre Smith. The other one was Jimmy Barnes, which we won't talk anymore about. Um, and I'm like, oh, my God, you know, we've got two kids playing in the Army All-American game. You know, now when you watch the Under Armour game and the Army All-American game, it's like a marketing um, campaign for Alabama football. So they've got a very small, limited amount of spots and really not a whole lot of areas that need to be addressed. You know, you, you start talking about guys that they still have a great chance at, a Byron Coward, um, you know, a C.C. Jefferson, the Lockhart kid from uh, Texas, you know, Ricky DeBerry from Virginia. You know, there's a lot of moving parts still out there with very few limited spots. So, you know, I think that's going to be exciting um, you know, going through the fall and up till National Signing Day just to see, you know, which one of those guys um, that ends up being a part of the class. And also, you know, and this is kind of a unattractive way to call it, but this is what the college coaches do nowadays because of recruiting being so vital to the lifeblood of the program, also with it being such a big business, you know, once you get out of the May evaluation period that once runs from April 23rd to May 23rd and you get into the summer camp circuit, that's when college coaching staffs go into what they call the cull period. And if somebody doesn't understand the word cull, then they've never fished before in their life. That's where you take a smaller fish out of your live well and you throw them back in the lake and you put a bigger one back in there. And that's where the Alabama coaching staff is right now with the 2015 recruiting class. I think that's well stated and a good way to end uh, your your segment. And uh, I think, again, I, I totally agree. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. But, again, William, man, we really appreciate you coming on tonight and giving us the time, almost an hour for us. It was an honor. I uh, hope that we'll have you on later on uh, on BAMS, especially after the – July uh, evaluation as far as the camp. I think that will be big. You also have a lot of information. But, again, uh, we appreciate you coming on tonight, William, and thank you tonight for uh, being with us on BAMS. Well, again, you know, Drew, it's, it's, it's not an honor for you. It's an honor for me. I mean, anytime I get an opportunity to talk about recruiting and, and football, you know, it's something that's always been a big part of my life. And, again, you know, I'd like to apologize for – um, you know, my, my working life taken away from, from me being able to show up the last two weeks. But I'll be more than happy as long as my schedule allows to, to join you guys, you know, as often as I can. And I appreciate you guys having me on tonight. Great no having you, William. You. Great insight. Always great talking to you. And uh, you don't have to admit it, but I'm pretty sure you got better questions tonight than some of these other shows you're on. But that's okay, though. Uh, I happen to have been a guest on one of those shows, and I was like, damn. But anyway, um, I appreciate it, William. Uh, we're going to let you go. That's William Redfish Barger of AlabamaIntel.com. We're going to take a break before we come back with Coach Steinberg. You're listening to BAMS Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Here's a little World Cup drop for everybody.
Get ready for a touchdown of savings that will make you want to do your own end zone dance. dance. With Atlantic Bedding and Furniture. Atlantic Bedding and Furniture. Unlike the chain furniture stores, Atlantic, Atlantic Bedding and Furniture, furniture gives the Bama, Bama fan a choice. In fine furniture at super low prices. We have over 30,000 items always in stock. Atlantic Bedding and Furniture will have exactly what you need for your rec room, man cave, or however you wish to celebrate that latest Bama victory. Our selection includes Simmons, Serta, Broyhill, and other name brands at a fraction of what other chain stores charge. Atlantic Bedding and Furniture is close by in Pelham, Alabama on Highway 31. Come see us or check out our website at www.AtlanticBeddingAndFurniture.com. www.AtlanticBeddingAndFurniture.com. Atlantic Bedding and Furniture, the place to shop for great furniture deals with financing available. Mercifully, uh, the music is uh, backing down. It's seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. Drew and I uh, shed tears while Satan smiles during our bumper music. Okay. Uh, You're listening to BAMS Radio on Blog Talk Radio. We just got off the line. Uh, Nice, uh, probably about a 50-minute chat with William Redfish Barge of AlabamaIntel.com, bringing it like uh, only he can. Uh, They are batting in the top of the sixth inning. Vanderbilt is leading Virginia one to nothing in the deciding game of the College World Series in Omaha. Vanderbilt Commodores going for their first ever men's national championship in a historic night, and also uh, in the sixth inning, three nothing. The Atlanta Braves have a lead over the Houston Astros, and we are now joined by another guest. And Drew, you booked him. I'm going to let you introduce him. Absolutely. You know what? Well, uh, he last week he was very, he was rather busy. Uh, his uh, star quarterback committed to the University of Alabama, and he was on a plane to 
a, a place we'd all like to go, Hawaii. Uh, he wasn't able to join us last week, but he's just right, right off the practice field, and uh, we're honored uh, to be joined by the Santiago Sharks uh, head coach, uh, Jeff Steinberg. Welcome, Coach Steinberg, to BAM's radio tonight. Thank you guys very much for having me on. It's really a pleasure. No problem. And, uh, well, and, and, and I guess for, for our listeners who uh, have, you know, have never had the pleasure, Coach, just kind of give them some background on your career and, you know, how long you've been with Santiago and, and, and kind of, you know, where, where your program stands right now. Sure, sure. Uh, well, I've, I've just finished my fifth year going into my sixth season here at Santiago High School, and we're in just the, the top division in the state, uh, probably, arguably, one of the top two leagues in the state, and I think in the nation we sit at top 17. So very competitive football. We're, we're in a recruiting hotbed, just a great area. Uh, athletes are very skilled, but, uh, you know, the nice thing is they're squared away. Uh, they're eating right. They study. They, they, they get the big picture. Before Santiago, I was at another school. Uh, A.B. Miller had, a, had a, an opportunity to, to turn the program around there, so I was there for three years and wound up doing really well. Uh, and then before there, I was up in, in the high desert at a, a school called Burroughs High School. That's kind of where I got my start as a head coach. Uh, not many people knew about the school, and uh, we were there. We had an opportunity to turn that program around. We got to throw the ball all over, so we kind of made a name for, for ourselves and the, and the program, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. We, we had an opportunity to play in some big games, wound up uh, playing in two championships, winning one, and, and it was kind of common in in the town that we were going to go deep in the playoffs. So that's kind of where I started as a head coach. Um, before that, I, I was coaching up in Canada uh, at the high school and college level, and uh, my wife and I used to visit my brother in, in California, and we just kind of liked the lifestyle, wearing shorts and in January seemed kind of, kind of like a nice thing. And, and at the time, we thought everywhere was near the beach and found that it wasn't quite so when we moved. But, uh, but we, uh, we really like it here. Coach Steinberg, this is Kerry Clark with BamaMag.com and Scott.com. I'm sure you've had uh, numerous conversations with uh, my cohort and our next guest, actually, John Garcia, uh, while Blake was being recruited. Uh, but my question for you is this. Um, your, your mascot there at the high school, I noticed, is the Sharks. Uh, yeah. When the team scores a touchdown, does the band play the theme from Jaws? <laughs> they actually, when I first got here, they used to play that on every time we go line up for kickoff. Uh, that was kind of a neat little thing they did. But, uh, yeah, yeah, no, they, 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 don't, funny they don't do that on, on the touchdowns. <laughs> I think they need to start there. That. That, okay, well, I thought I was cracking That'd be pretty thing. cool. You got me there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and Coach Steinberg, we, first of all, we just want to, we want to, you know, ask you about, you, you obviously, you guys, you said you've already started practice. Obviously, you guys, I, I went back and looked at your season, uh, you know, after Blake uh, committed. Uh, saw you guys definitely are in a tough league. I mean, you guys were six and six, uh, but you did get to the second round of the playoffs. Lost a you know heartbreaker, I believe, it was to Upland by a point. Yeah. In the, uh, and you yeah. lost two close games to them actually during the regular season. Obviously, you guys it didn't. Look, it looked like you guys were pretty good offensively all year, uh, and then had you know obviously defensively there were some some things you guys wanted to clean up. But just talk about yeah, where your sure. football team is right now and, and going into the season. Yeah, you know, um, we, we have some really good talent coming back on offense, and I, I think that I'm most proud right now about, about our offensive line is uh, with the number of returners and what they've done in the weight room uh, during, uh, during our offseason program so far. So, uh, 
So, so we think that with the guys that we, we have coming back and we have some guys that are going to be some real good role players as well. And, you know, obviously having Blake, uh, will help a little bit. Um, and then defensively, we are going to have a good mix of, uh, we're going to be young in the secondary, uh, linebacker. We've got some good talent coming back, but we expect some big things from our defensive line. We've got a great combination of some, some big heavies and, and some speed demons. So, uh, so it'll, it'll make for a fun year. The big thing is we felt like we had to make some, some adjustments uh, and changes defensively in the off season. You know, I think a lot of people get so hung up on scheme, and I think the big thing is, you know, if anything, if you've got great attitudes and relentless pursuit and, and you kind of have a nasty disposition when the ball snaps, you're going to do some really good things. And, and I, I thought it was just a matter of maybe getting back to basics on defense. Well, absolutely. And, and, and also, and we're going to talk about Blake, but – in last year was his first year starting uh, for you, and uh, you know, and, and the thing that I we we just got through talking with a good friend of mine that I work with, and and he is a, a good, really good talent evaluator. But he admitted it. He said quarterback is not his specialty, and I just want you to clear it up for our audience. You know, there's been a lot of a pigeonholing, and I like to call it when they try to they they'll try to say this kid's a spread quarterback, this kid's a pro style quarterback. Just kind of talk about Blake's skill set and. The thing that struck me when we had him on last week is everybody continues to try to talk about a Johnny Manziel type kid. He's actually not. He does have good mobility, no. but you guys have you guys were uh, he was in a pro style set up until last year throughout his career. Is that correct? Uh, okay, well Blake Blake is all you know in, in our offense that we run at the school. We're we're spread no huddle four and five wide. You know I, I couldn't even say who we'd be patterning it after. Uh, right. at the college level. It's kind of like that's been my puppy. And, you know, like all, all high school guys, you're going you're gonna to get ideas that, that tend to work for you. We don't want to copy things. But things that have kind of fit in with our offense and who we had as the trigger guy we, we, we tended to use at the time. So before Blake was in, we had, we had a kid that probably was more like a Johnny Manziel, uh, maybe 5'10 version or, you know. Uh, and so it was a little more zone read stuff and things like that and, we, um, when Blake was coming up, we, you know, we just didn't know what he could do other than, you know, we, we knew he was going to be good. There was no doubt about it because of the, the work ethic this kid has is like second to none. Uh, so we knew he was going to be good, but because we hadn't really seen him in that many varsity games, he had played a little bit, um, we didn't want to put too much weight on his shoulders. And we, we just didn't want to have, you know, have him have to decide the outcome of games, especially early on. And so we, our, our whole thinking was we're going to run a little bit of the zone read and try to do a little bit of triple option stuff out of the gun and dual option. Um, and if, Blake, if we can kind of keep it honest with our quarterbacks, run them four to six times a game, if he can get us four, four yards a pop, we'll be in business and we'll be able to kind of you know, stay ahead of the curve on, on down and distance. Well, you know, we go into our first game, and I think – one of his first runs, he pops off an 80-yard run against some, a really good team, and like there was not a guy who who was able to get close to him once once he hit the second level. Then he did the same thing against another another really good team, and he kind of made plays like that all year. But before the season started, um, I thought you know what we were going to do is probably throw the ball a little more, keep him in the pocket. Um, you know, the guys at the time were. He came out of nowhere, and, and he still was kind of like low on the radar, and people thought that, you know, okay, this kid's a, he's a pro-style passer. Well, after the second game, they switched him to dual threat, which I, I think says a lot about him, but I think the way they, they, like you said, pigeonhole these kids really isn't fair and maybe does a, does a little bit of a disservice uh, recruiting-wise sometimes. So, 
so there he goes to dual thread and you know I, I, I all the schools are recruiting him honestly I could I saw him I saw him being able to play in all of their systems um, and again because he's an athletic quarterback but more importantly because of the, the kid's work ethic is just unbelievable so uh, so it switched it switched back and then you know now I, I guess they're going to probably call him a pro style again uh, because because he's committed to uh, to Alabama and I think that the key thing is. In this day and age, and I've worked with enough enough quarterbacks to, to know what it takes, is the guys that are more athletic, they give you an opportunity, whatever your offense is, they're going to extend plays. And, and at the next level, there's not going to be that many Johnny Manziels or, or Marcus Mariotas who can literally make plays with their feet. But I think that when you're athletic, you're going you're gonna to extend plays for, you, for your team and you're going to give them an opportunity to move the chain. So anyways, hopefully that, that kind of solidified thing and, and gave people a better understanding of, of where guys are at in terms of recruiting and, and labeling guys. Coach, we tried to kind of put the pressure on Blake last week, and he uh, kind of politically answered with a sort of a uh, I don't want to put any pressure on my teammates type thing. So let me ask you, as someone who knows what it takes to play at the next level, uh, I'm sure that Blake is your best senior, but in your rising junior and rising sophomore classes, do you have some kids you can tell us about that maybe we should be watching uh, that are D1 prospects? Uh, you know, we've got we've got some guys that I think may maybe FCS kids, and and you know, again, I, I would be I would be hesitant to to say if a kid was gonna was gonna be an SEC kid or a Pac-12 or anything, simply because. Um, I would be wrong on a lot of occasions, and I may miss a guy. Like again, I knew Blake was going to be talented, but I think that anybody who could have said that more than a year ago, going into his junior year, that they knew that this kid was going to be the quarterback of an SEC team, I, I think would, would be just kind of like just making stories up because there's nobody that you know. We knew that he had the talent, we knew that he had the work ethic, but he needed the games to be able to show it. So. Um, I, I, again, I, I think we're going to have some really good players. We've got some really good underclassmen, um, D-line and, and, and backer, but I just, I'd just i be hesitant at this time to, to put a kid's name out there um, before he's actually shown some things on the field. Well, and, Coach, we really want to, to delve more into Blake, too. I mean, you, you, you know, that's what struck me when we talked. I mean, you really were high on his work ethic, and you thought that was one of the big reasons why he chose Alabama was the structure of the program. But I guess just kind of give us uh, – uh, an overview on on how and maybe even a, a good story about uh, that shows his work ethic and how hard he's worked for you in your program. Yeah, um, I think that if you go onto YouTube or any fan goes onto his YouTube and pull up pull up his sophomore highlights, and you'll see a kid with you know hey this kid's got some some, some potential he does some good things. Most of the highlights are going to be in in JV games. Um, you may see the odd varsity highlights where he did some things and he showed some flashes, and then when you you fast forward and go uh, pull up his highlights from his uh, from his junior year, and especially the first few games in particular. I think that right there speaks volumes about this kid and his work ethic. You know, there's a kid that you look how much he improved over the off season. It says a lot about him getting out on his own, working with his quarterback coach, um, and doing those extra things. And I think that's that that's one of the things that um, is is going to be something that I, I think is going to be great for Alabama in terms of what they're getting. Obviously, they get you know they're getting the best talent in the country, and Blake's Blake's right up there with them. I think where he's over the edge is, is he's going to do a lot in terms of leadership and just work ethic, and I think that that's great for guys that are going to be in his class and and maybe even some of the older guys too. 
Well, yeah, absolutely. And I, and, and, I, and, and talk about, I mean, to, to, you, know, you talked about the competition in your, in your league, but I guess to kind of uh, educate some of our listeners, I mean, obviously I, I, myself being a, a high school football nerd kind of, I've, I've heard of Mission Viejo. They've always had a really solid program. But yeah. kind of talk about some of the schools that you guys are going up against in your league. Sure. So, like Mission Viejo, they're they're in Orange County, and and that's a, a pretty pretty good recruiting area too. Our our area in particular, um, in Riverside Riverside County. So, if you take a look on a map and, and find the 15, uh, the 15 corridor that would extend from Rancho Cucamonga and go all the way down to Temecula. Off that 15, there's Rancho Cucamonga High School that's got great talent that that's been in our division. There's uh, Etiwanda High School that always has good athletes. And then as you go further down the 15, you're going to hit the school down the street from us, Centennial High School, that's perennial, uh, perennial uh, champions, and, and they've, been, they've been to the state and, and won state championships, and they've got talent every year as well. And then we're just off the 15 as well. Uh, Norco High School, uh, where uh, Toby Gerhardt went to Stanford and I believe was runner-up uh, with the Heisman uh, his year, played for the Vikings in the NFL. I believe he just recently signed with another team, uh, and then as you continue down, down the uh, down the 15, you have uh, Vista Marietta and Chaparral. So those are some really good good schools. And every school that I mentioned, not only do they have great teams, but they've got exceptional talent, guys that are filling rosters uh, of uh, FBS teams, and uh, and guys that come out of school uh they're you know they understand what it takes academically you kind of got the whole deal coming out of high school it's not a case of you know where you may see a kid that plays really well but doesn't have grades or or may need a a year or two of maturing at a jc these guys are really really as high as their ceiling is they're, they're still coming out at a pretty high level of high school um and it's and it's just great football uh recently what they did is they, they they did a, a, a division alignment for playoffs, so we're actually we we haven't been in the same division as the the Mission Vaos and the Long Beach Poly, and and now our league has been moved into uh, into that division. So uh, so you know you get to the first round of the playoffs, and then you know there you won't you won't find a weak a weak team in the first round. Uh, it doesn't look like it. Just looking at y'all's schedule. Last year, that's what kind of struck me. I mean, obviously, you guys were six and six, but you had—you uh, could argue you were a much better football team than that. I mean, with a couple of breaks, you guys could have won, sure. you know, nine football games. You know, a lot of those games were shootouts and uh, some very high level, especially it looked like offensive football. But uh, just—I guess for our listeners too, just kind of talk about. You know, Blake, obviously, with this is going into his second year starting, so he should be much more comfortable, uh, be much more confident in what he's doing. But just kind of talk about what you guys have worked on thus far and what you're looking for, for him to do as far as improvement going into his senior season. Sure. You know, I, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, you get a quarterback like that, and, oh, boy, they're going to really open it up now. And, 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 and people make the mistake of just adding to their offense. And we're kind of like minimalists, so – We've actually taken stuff out. Um, here's what we do well. Let's get better at this. Let's put some maybe some tags on on some of these plays rather than installing a bunch of new plays, and then you really don't even have an identity. So uh, we've, we've, we've simplified the offense even more. It, it's complex in that there are reads. You know, obviously there's reads. We're not telling QB who to throw to. We've got different types of reads that they're going to make based on, based on the plays that, that we've got.
Well, we may have he dropped. Just, yeah, uh, he just Steinberg. dropped. Let me try and call so, him back. Uh, we'll let Thomas get him back. Uh, while he's getting him back, uh, for those of you that were listening to uh, the coach give the uh, – the example of the different teams in his area. And for those of you who have not traveled to California and don't know kind of the lingo up there, when Coach was talking about the 15, he means Interstate 15 or right. I-15. Uh, if he were in Alabama, he would say, uh, yeah, I had to go to Atlanta yesterday. I took the 20. You know, but that's just how they say it out there. It's a, it's a kind of a California thing. Uh, they don't say I-20. They say the 20. So he means Interstate or I-15 is the corridor he was talking about where all those uh, – those powerhouse football teams. And I'm sure it won't take uh, Thomas but a second to get him back, but I would like to report that Vanderbilt has added to their lead. It's now 2 nothing, uh, but Virginia does have a man on second with an out in the bottom of the sixth. So uh, Vanderbilt is, uh, is doing okay right now, Drew. Uh, it would be a great honor for the SEC to get yet another one, but even greater if Vanderbilt can hang on and, and win the first men's national championship in school history. And the thing that strikes me, Kerry, is when I was in school, this is just how what a job Tim Corbin has done because I know how bad Vanderbilt was. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I mean they were they were horrific. I mean Ole Miss was as well. Mike Bianco can't you know say enough about him too. But you know Ole Miss and Vandy were two of the worst programs in the in the conference. Hey, and hey now guys. they were two of your final four. Let me just jump back in and we can and I got the coach back. He's back okay. live, so y'all can continue that interview. Absolutely. Got you back. Okay, Coach. Glad to have you back. Sorry about the uh, technical difficulties there. Yeah, no but, uh, but, yeah, just what you were talking about, basically the com- how, 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 what you guys were working on as far as Blake. Yeah, so, so you know, specifically we're just kind of working on fine-tuning and cleaning up, cleaning up some of our adjustments and, and our reads on plays and making things a little more definite in terms of, you know, okay, hey, here's, here's the progression we're going to go or – or if there's a site adjustment, or here's the guy that we're going to read, uh, and it's you know what we do every year is regardless of uh, whether whether the kid's been in the program four years like Blake or or it's his first year, we we go back to QB school right in the off season. We start right at square one. Uh, you know, we, it's it's basically it's it, it's it literally is quarterback school, and we start we talk about leadership and demeanor and how to take command of the offense and calling the plays, reading defenses, understanding fronts coverages uh and then once we we get all that down we start installing our offense in the classroom so that by the time we hit the field in spring ball they got a really good idea of what's going on so we take it from the classroom to the field and we feel that doing it that way makes it easier and it's it's always a great thing when when you get a guy like like Blake and we all you know we tell him about you know Joe Montana um and uh, John Elway and Peyton Manning in the NFL that here's guys that have been in the league a long time and and they've been playing in a specific offense for a very long time, and, and they're at the twilight of their career, and they're doing install, and they're taking notes as if it's the first time they've they've heard the play, and that's that's kind of the way a quarterback should be, and, and the, the kind of attitude they should have in the classroom. And you know, Blake Blake's no different in that. You know, we'll we'll put something he's been doing since his freshman year up on the board and talk through it, and he's taking notes in his notebook, which is pretty impressive. And that's what the thing that I'm, I think it most excites me about Blake is I'm always in favor of a quarterback redshirting in college to get used to the environment, and I think that's what will happen with Blake. But he comes from a very competitive league. Obviously, with you and your staff, he's getting very good coaching, and I think it's going to help him transition to the SEC, and uh, especially once he redshirts and you know, learns the offense and gets used to the environment and used to that level of play. But I think it always helps 
when you come from that kind of competitive level. And I'm really excited because, uh, you know, I knew you guys uh, from just looking at your schedule and looking at your league. It was a very, very tough league. And I think that's another thing yeah. that a lot of people aren't really taking into account with Blake. And he told us he wanted to cut down on his turnovers because he had, I think, 12 interceptions last year. Right, right. But again, I just think his best football is ahead of him. Without a doubt, you know, every Friday he's playing in front of big crowds, and, and we, we really love to play up in our non-league schedule. We want to play against teams that, you know, look, you know, it, it'd, be, it'd be easy to be able to schedule teams that we, we know it's going to be a win, but I think in the end it doesn't help the kids out and certainly doesn't help, help our program out. So, uh, so that's always the case is we're going to make sure we get a good fix of games that, that, that we're playing up. Um, and, you know, a guy like Blake, I, I really, really admire a coach that can tell a kid, hey, this is our plan. You're going to come in. You're going to redshirt. You're not going to be ready. We want to keep you around. We want to make sure that when you do get your chance, you really know the offense. And I think that a lot of times when a kid comes out of high school and, you know, the quarterback would be very hard to, to come out of high school and start. Um, I think a lot of times what it tells a kid um, when he's coming out of high school and he really does get an opportunity to, to, to compete for a starting spot is I think it usually means that the guys that have been in the program aren't ready. It's not so much a right. case of this guy being better. than, and, and that's not a knock against any guy who's ever been the guy. It would just be, I think, an anomaly in most cases if a, if a kid at, at most positions, but especially quarterback, had a chance to come, come and compete um, as, a, as a true freshman. So it, it, it says a lot about the, co- you know, the coaching staff, the fact that they, they told Blake, here's our plan, and, and they've got a plan, and, and uh, you know, they see that they're going to be able to work with him and develop him. And he's actually going to have, it's almost like having you know, an extra, extra half year, an extra spring ball, because he's going to be coming in for, in January at the semester. I really will. Well, Coach, we really appreciate the time tonight, uh, and we we uh, and we so, we're sorry that uh, we had to get you on a little bit later. Our first segment ran long. But we also know you were at practice, and that you taking the time out to call us tonight and spend a good twenty plus minutes with us. And we really appreciate the insight into your program and into Blake Barnett. And we really thank you, Coach Steinberg, for for joining Bams Radio tonight, and yeah. we hope to continue this relationship in the future. Yes, sir. Thank, thank you, guys. I'm, I'm really excited about now becoming a, a huge Bama fan and, and coming out, watching spring ball, hopefully taking a game in and, and meeting all the, uh, the people out there. So thanks a lot. No problem. Thank you, Coach. Thanks, right, Coach. Guys, bye. Okay, bye. That is Coach Mark Steinberg, uh, coach of the Jeff San Diego Steinberg. Sharks. Jeff Steinberg. Jeff Steinberg, uh, coach of the uh, Santiago Sharks, uh, Coronado, California. Nice little interview there, and uh, drew some interesting info about the uh, classroom aspect of his quarterbacks, particularly Blake. And I—that's I, I, what I took from the interview, Kerry. I think that was big. Uh, I'm really excited. The more I hear about Blake, you know, because uh, you know Redfish, he, he does a great job evaluating, but with with Blake, they're kind of pigeonholing him a little bit. And I, I don't think they really knew a whole lot about his background. I got some from Coach Steinberg last week. Got some more tonight. But it's just huge because I think uh, I, I do think that, uh, that Blake Barnett's best football is ahead of him, and I do think he's an elite prospect. I don't think he was as far down the QB board as William kind of made it. I think uh, Alabama was evaluating quarterbacks after they lost Ricky Town. I do think they liked Jarrett Stidham, but he did commit early. But then after that, I think they were very selective in who they liked, and they offered a lot of people, but they wanted them to come – uh, you know, work out. They could have had Quentin Dormady. They passed on him. 
Uh, they wanted they brought they brought Blake Barnett and Travis Waller in for a reason, and they laid, and they and they put out the red carpet. I think they could have had Waller. They chose Barnett because I think he was the guy they wanted, and I do think that uh, he's an elite prospect. And when you look at his offer list, and it's kind of funny, Oregon definitely wanted Barnett, took it really hard, and now they've offered Travis Waller. So that just shows you kind of how the dominoes fall. But Blake Barnett is an elite quarterback. And I, the thing is, it, it, William is always big on the competition that they face, and that's why I'm excited about Blake because he's played against great high school competition, and he will again this season. And before we bring our next guest on, uh, Vanderbilt is, uh, is being threatened now. It's 2-1, uh, to one, and Virginia has men on first and second with one out in the bottom of the sixth. We'll keep you posted on that game. But now it's my pleasure to introduce uh, not only a coworker but a friend, uh, the uh, recruiting extraordinaire man for Scott.com's BamaMag.com website, a graduate of Syracuse University and a gentleman who actually played some college football uh, in his undergraduate days, his master's of some Syracuse. I'd like to welcome on uh, from Scott.com and BamaMag.com, John Garcia. John, what's going on tonight, brother? Nothing much, fellas. I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Oh, well, it has, and uh, we would like for you to uh, consider being at, at least a monthly guest. That's why I asked you to put our number in your phone, and I'm quite happy you did so. Well, that sounds good to me. I think uh, any platform where we can kind of expand on what we write about every day and discuss every day on message boards is always something I'm up for. So, uh, absolutely, I don't see why not. Well, let's just jump right into the uh, fire, John. Uh, Alabama's currently standing at 19 commitments, Uh probably going to take in my estimation about seven more uh how do you see the rest of this class shaking out for 2015 well this is this is kind of what i've been saying over the last couple of cycles at this time you know mid-summer you know take a snapshot of the 19 guys right now you know we all know there's going to be some shuffling not only going forward but with those guys on that list right now it's just the nature of recruiting in this century with technology with um how much coverage, you know, guys like us provide for these kids. So take a snapshot. There will be a couple of names that will shuffle just because that's how it is nowadays for, for programs like Alabama at the top tier of college football. With that said, um, there's some clear targets in terms of positions going forward. We all know uh, that zero technique, that nose guard uh, per se position is, is a major, major need going forward. Deron Payne is, of course, where all that conversation should start and does start when you're talking about Alabama football recruiting going forward. Um, other than that, I think there's a lot of flexibility. I think there's a lot of best-case scenarios for Alabama. And what I mean by that is, is there's some flexibility at running back. There's some flexibility at tight end because of not only what Alabama was able to do early on in solidifying guys, of course, the Sherry's Flowers at running back, Hale Henches at tight end. Um, the plan seemed to be to take two of those guys early on as things have shaken out with, with other guys picking other schools and maybe Alabama not being as high as they once were on some other targets at those positions, now there's some flexibility as to where maybe a second running back is brought in but not a second tight end and vice versa. So that only enables Alabama to continue to target elite prospects. And we all know towards the close of 2014 or 2015, I should say, it will be similar to 2014 in that a lot of the bigger-name guys are going to wait it out as they usually do towards January, towards the Underarm game, towards the Army All-American Bowl, where their decisions can be more in the national spotlight. So you're talking five-star guys. You're talking Martez Ivey. 
Byron Cohort, Deron Payne, as we mentioned, T.C. Jefferson. These are some supreme targets. You know, Malik Jefferson as well out in Texas. These are supreme targets that are going to need to take official visits. They're going to need to go through the process much more thoroughly than a lot of guys who are able to commit this summer, even though it does feel like this summer has been accelerated in the amount of commitments, not only for Alabama, but in general. You see Auburn take two guys uh, just yesterday. Uh, it just seems like everybody's threatening 20 commitments this early, so it only means there's going to be a lot more uh, musical chairs, if you will, going forward. Well, John, then I'm not, this is Drew DeArmond of Alabama Intel. First of all, it's glad to finally speak with you. I know we follow each other on Twitter. Uh, we've not met in person yet. I think you were at the – I did see you, I think, at the Spain Park Combine. I was there with a coworker of mine. We were able to cover that event. But uh, and I and I and I enjoy your work. I I just I basically I try to just well, I try to keep up with kind of everybody and what they're doing and how they can, how they kind of approach the process. And I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on you know. And I've talked about this young man with some people, but he has not visited yet. He's supposed to visit in July. I think he's going to be a tough pull. But talk about what you think. Uh, what what do you think Alabama's chances are with a young man like Malik Jefferson? Yeah. Um... His recruitment reminds me a little bit of Tony Brown's, and of course, that's going to perk some ears up. Uh, Now, Brown was able to get to campus much more frequently than Jefferson has been able to. Like you said, Jefferson has not yet been to Tuscaloosa, but make no mistake that Alabama has made him a priority throughout the process. Linebacker is going to be one of those positions that there could be some wiggle room. You know, uh, Leo Lewis is a commitment that's taking visits. We all know Makai Brown is a commitment that's taking visits. Um, so the Jack linebacker and inside linebacker spots are, are going to have some type of movement here before it's all said and done. And there's not a lot of guys that can come in and potentially play either one of those roles. One is James Lockhart that they've talked about uh, adding here very recently. He visited a couple of weeks back, and it's an alabama Pennsylvania fan battle. But we'll know the end result of that in the next few weeks at the longest. But Jefferson is the epitome of that. He is the top target in the country on scout.com. He's the number two overall player in the country. So that's Reuben Foster territory, you know, for comparisons of how highly scout feels uh, this guy can come in and contribute. Uh, but he's more rangy than Reuben. He, he's traditionally an outside guy. He does stand up and rush the passer on occasion for his uh, team, for team high school uh, in Mesquite, Texas. Uh, but he can play inside as well. He has the frame. He's a big hitter. He kind of does everything you could really want. As, as a second-level defender. Um, so Nick Saban has recognized that. Everybody has really recognized that. Uh, and he's made him a priority. And all you have to do is, is go back to May and April, the spring evaluation period. Assistant coaches can go on the road, but head coaches cannot. But Nick Saban still found a way not only to isolate uh, Jefferson enough to speak to him via Skype, but to get to him and his parents at his school at the same exact time. So basically, think of an auditorium and it all being shut down so that Nick Saban can Skype into a Texas high school to speak to one recruit and his parents at the same time. It left a big impression on Jefferson. Now, he's not one who loves talking to the media as much, so you don't hear as much about it um, compared right. to other players. But Alabama has certainly made him a priority, and there will be a player in his recruitment all the way through because, of, like I said, the best thing for the Tide in terms of trying to get him out of Texas is that He's in no rush to make a decision. He will take official visits. And like you said, whether he gets to campus in July or not, you can expect him to get to campus once again, September, October, once the official visit season 
rolls around. Uh, but obviously getting him on campus sooner than later in any capacity is going to be a very big deal in his recruitment. He's a very smart and calculated kid, uh, so he's not going to rush to any type of judgment uh, on this campus or any other campus for that matter. So those are all things that point uh, to the tide's favor compared to the in-state schools, Baylor, Texas A&M, Texas, what have you. Well, I've got to – I'm going to let Kerry have it in just a second, but I've got to ask about another kid because obviously Alabama, as you talked about, was trying to, if if possible, uh, get two tight end prospects. Obviously, Hell Hinkins is more of an H, and they're, they've been looking for a Y tight end, but those are kind of hard to find. But obviously, he's got a teammate that they've offered verbally, uh, DeAndre uh, McNeil, and he, is, he, has, uh, he has confirmed he is coming to the camp. And, you know, Malik is supposed to come with him. But talk about DeAndre as a prospect. He seems to be somebody that's kind of come on like a lot of kids do as seniors. And where do you think he stands as far as on Alabama's board? Yeah, I think the hardest thing – to, to realize with DeAndre is that he does play with Malik. So naturally you're going to get the whole overshadowing thing, but as you know, you've seen at Alabama the last couple of years, a guy named Rashawn Evans was once overshadowed on his own defense by a guy named Steven Foster. I think it worked out quite okay for Evans. Now these two are in the same class, obviously, 2015, but McNeil is, is maybe just as versatile as Jefferson, at least on paper. Um, you know, he, may, he might not have that quick twitch, that Jefferson has and that the ultimate intangible to be considered one of the top two or three guys in the country, but he's on that next tier, uh, a four-star type who can do a lot of things really on both sides of the football, you know, um, for that Mesquite program. And I think he's somebody that people haven't realized it is a priority target for Alabama. And I'm not going to say he's number one on their board at any position, but we talked about the flexibility that some of these positions are going to have down the road. And I think he's a name that could slide in. Again, like you said, he is going to the camp. So with the top performance, if he can maintain uh, Alabama's interest uh, on that side of things, it could be big. And at the end of the day, you know, Alabama's pretty smart at what they do. So keeping a guy like McNeil at bay with interest, knowing that Jefferson is his teammate as well, can only be good towards landing Jefferson. It's sort of like what Auburn has done with Chandler Cox, hoping to get that much more of a shot at Martez Ivey down in Apopka, Florida it's going to have some type of impact. It's not going to seal the deal or anything, but it's going to be a part of that recruitment. So I think it's, it's sort of a win-win for Alabama to stay relevant with McNeil. And, and once he gets to campus as well, and if Jefferson rides along with him, which is, of course, the ultimate goal, it can only help both parties because uh, McNeil does have an offer. It's just it's something, like I said, people don't realize when looking at the top targets that McNeil is in that group. Maybe not at the very top, but he's, he's very close to it. John, uh, someone that is in the top group and is planning to camp at Alabama next month. Uh, it's, Alabama probably still on the outside looking in, but talk about the chances the Tide has for Arkansas tight end Will Gragg. Well, I, I've said this multiple times um, on BamaMag.com. There's not an out-of-state prospect more familiar with Tuscaloosa than Will Gragg. A lot of things contribute to that. Obviously, he's he, he knows what the recruiting process is all about. His brother Chris went through it. He's in the NFL now, so he kind of knows the ins and outs and knows what he has to do to stay relevant on national scale and uh, to truly get enough factors to evaluate all the schools on his list. Now, obviously, Chris went to Arkansas. Will still lives in Arkansas, so that alone is going to be a major factor in his recruitment. But he's always said that he's looking for the right fit. Um, and there's not many tight ends bigger than Greg in terms of what Alabama's looking for. Like you said, 
Uh, Hector is, is one thing, uh, but Bragg is, is sort of the other, more of a traditional type. He can be in line 245 pounds right now, but obviously when you go back to his brother and his bloodlines, he's got the receiver pedigree along with the size. So something that really uh, Alabama is coveting and looking for a tight end. So, again, once he gets back to Alabama, it's more, more and more exposure in Tuscaloosa, and, and you never know. You just want to have on the table with a guy like that being a legacy at another school. Obviously, it turned out uh, quite well. Right? John, we have a uh, chat room at BAMSradio.com, and they uh, love to ask questions of our guests, and you have already got your first question from the chat room. Uh, John, what uh, sort of difference will we see uh, both recruiting and offensively with Lane Kiffin on the Alabama staff? Well, I mean, if you play, play close attention, you've already seen it. Hey, you guys had uh, Blake Barnett's high school coach on, and I'm sure he, he might have hit on Lane Kiffin as well. I mean, that was the initial comfort that Alabama had with Barnett. It was Lane Kiffin. Because back in the day, Lane Kiffin was looking at him at USC. Lane Kiffin established that relationship back at USC, and he helped carry it over uh, once Ricky Pennell decommitted. If you guys remember, three weeks, that's all it took. Three weeks after town committed, Barnett was committed to Notre Dame, had the offer from Alabama in hand. That was really the first one that we saw the ball sort of uh, get rolled. And once the ball was rolling, Alabama was, was in a much better position for a guy like Barnett, even though he was still committed to Notre Dame at the time. So Lane Kiffin's influence has already been all over this class, and uh, you're going to see it more and more going forward. John, uh, since this is your first time as a guest, why don't you uh, tell our listeners about your background, uh, first as a college football player and then uh, as a journalist? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I went to Avery University out of high school. I went to play high school ball in South Florida, so Bay, Dow County, uh, sort of the Mario Cooper territory, if you will. Uh, didn't get recruited very heavily, played defensive back, so I decided to uh, go get education and play some ball up in Virginia. Avery University, small school, D3 school, I was able to start off four years as a defensive back, won a conference championship, so I will show off the bling if you come see me. <laughs> uh, I'm very proud of that. Um, but learned a lot. Um, basically, you know, I was 5'8", 170 pounds defensive back, so any success I had on the field was just because of film evaluation, preparation, uh, and truly studying the game that we all love. Um, so with that, I, I always knew that once I wasn't going to make it to the NFL and what have you, all the kid dreams, once those go out the window, I always fell back on journalism. I always wanted to be around the game. I always wanted to study the game and talk about the game. And this is sort of the perfect example uh, for that because uh, we get to evaluate uh, we get to just write, you know, as a pure journalist. Uh, so I, I studied that along the way. Uh, I got my print degree from Avery. Uh, and then I decided I need to be more versatile. I need to uh, have a broadcast background. I need to expand the journalism side of things while still, you know, studying and evaluating and trying to keep my name in the game, you know, X's and O's wise. So uh, I just got an opportunity to uh, – to go to Syracuse to get my master's degree from, you know, arguably the best program in the country in that field, uh, working with, you know, several ESPN, CBS guys, day in, day out, internships, all that fun stuff really taught me uh, how to conduct myself, you know, off the field, if you will. Uh, loved it, got my master's degree and worked for CBS for a year, and then I got the call for Scout.com to go start the Syracuse side, and 
now that's one of the up-and-coming sites on the network. And, of course, uh, it enabled me to uh, get a promotion and, and head down to Alabama and cover, you know, the top team in the country, which is something that I've relished because now I'm studying and critiquing, you know, the top players in the country as opposed to the top basketball players in the country and, and some solid football players. So it's sort of the best of both worlds for me. It's something I've always wanted to do, and uh, I couldn't be happier. Well, let me ask you this. You, you talked earlier about one of the uh, top targets remaining on the Alabama board, Deron Payne. We're starting to hear reports out of Shades Valley that Deron would like to be a package deal with one of his teammates. Uh, is, is that what you're hearing, and is that a possibility? Well, those who know Deron, and he, he's a very, very soft. To be, you know, 6'3", 330 pounds, he might be the most soft-spoken 6'3", 330-pounder you'll ever meet. Uh, but if there's one thing he's always made clear, it's that he wants to help out his teammates. Uh, he knows he has the goods to play in the SEC, but he truly feels that he's got some teammates in the class of 2015 and the class of 2016 that have those same goods. They're just not as apparent because they don't have the stunning size that he does. Now, they, they went on deep playoff run last year and ran into Hoover, obviously, which is never a good thing for a high school program. Um, but he felt like that still wasn't enough exposure. So this summer he sort of took it upon himself, this spring and summer, I should say, uh, to help guys like Keith Mixon go to camps. You know, if, if Deron Payne goes and performs at a Mississippi State camp, it's going to turn some heads. And once those heads turn, he's pointing at the direction of guys like Keith Mixon. He's shouting them out on Twitter. He's talking to coaches about them. So I, I won't say that a package deal between the two is 100% a go. But it's something that if Payne can, he's going to try to use to help his buddy out. Now, I don't think that's going to push Auburn or Alabama over the top for Mixon, who, for those who don't know, is a three-star athlete. He's a running back receiver, very dynamic, great kick returner. He took one back in that game against Hoover in the playoffs. Uh, he's sort of a, a do-it-all running back, but he, you know, he's 5'8", about a buck seventy-five, very strong for his size, but just doesn't fit the mold of a lot of programs as a running back or receiver. So that's sort of the dilemma in how teams have been recruiting him. Now, Mississippi State has come through with an offer. Vanderbilt has done the same. But, you know, he grew up in the Birmingham area just like Deron did. So Alabama and Auburn are the ones that he's really waiting for. Um, I wouldn't say he's frustrated, but he's camped very well at both programs. He has clocked at 4-4 at both programs and uh, is patiently waiting. Uh, and it's something that Deron is going to try to help him with all the way through, even if he commits to another school here in the short term, which seems very possible. As, uh, like, again, I don't think he's frustrated, but he wants to prove his work. He's a kid that always has a chip on his shoulder, and Deron um, is sort of fueling that in a way. So I think um, it only furthers the notion that Deron's not going to make a decision anytime soon. Um, but if Alabama or Auburn throws an offer his way and honors that offer, it could really change things for Payne, who is genuinely torn between the two in-state schools, as you guys most know. Grew up an Auburn fan, but Alabama offered first, and it's probably recruiting him a little bit harder at this point. They're selling him as, as the cornerstone in the class, um, so it could really be an interesting game changer. Uh, and, and going back to the Lane Kiffin question, you know, if somebody like Nixon does get offered, it really emphasizes the Lane Kiffin effect because there have been talks between Nixon and Alabama about them opening up a slot position. Think of guys like Christian Jones, Kenyon Drake. Guys who can do a little bit of everything, help in the return game, um, but there's never really been a scholarship honored just for that. Um, and according to Mixon, 
Uh, there's a couple of guys on, on their list that if they do create that position, and again, this all goes back to what I talked about at the beginning and, and tight end is running back slots, opening up and negotiating some other spots. Uh, if they do open up a spot, it's between three guys, according to Nixon. It's Nixon, Ryan Newsom out in Texas, and an Ohio uh, prospect committed to Michigan. So, Commissioner Wilson tells you if they do open up that position, Nixon's in a really good shape to receive that scholarship offer. And then it could be a game changer not only for him, but for the top guy on the board, which is Deron Payne. And for those who haven't seen Mixon play, I have. And I'll admit he's 5'8", five, 5'9", five, but he can fly, and he uh, he averages uh, double digits every time he touches the ball between receiving, yep. running, running back kicks. Uh, the, I believe the night I saw him play, he scored four times, uh, and none of them were short yardage plays. He's a very fast guy. I, I liken him, John, to a guy that played for Nick Saban a couple of years ago, Marquise Mays. Yeah, that's that's not a bad comparison. You know, it just it, it, today's world is it's such about the you know the listed size, the vitals, the height, and the way you see guys who are five ten telling people that they're six foot. You know, it's just, it's such a big part of the recruiting industry and and the the industry as a whole of college football uh, that it's hindering some guys who who don't try to fake the funk and say, you know what, I am five five eight, a buck seventy five, but you know, put the ball in my hands and I'll show you I can do something. And he's done really all he could it's not anything that that he can do further he's gone and competed at each camp and done very well uh like i said the 40 times are there the production is certainly there he's been the energizer bunny for shades valley the last two years and going into his senior year his first game will be against alabama commitment keaton anderson and he's already got that circled on his calendar and he already has it in his mind and this is something he's told me personally that you know he wants to to not only beat florence but to show that he can play with an Alabama type of prospect and beat an Alabama type of prospect. So you, you better believe that game one, Mixon's, you know, out there to prove once again that, that he belongs you know, in the SEC or in the ACC in the top conferences in the country. Um, and then you have to love that. as Even if you don't recruit the kid, you've got to love that about him, that he's not trying to fake anybody out. He's trying to show that he is what he is and that is enough. So uh, he can play. There's no doubt about that. Well, John, I, I agree. I think – there's always a kid or two that has a gangbuster senior year, and he had a great junior year, but it always proves his worth and comes out of nowhere and, and becomes a big-time prospect. But the thing is, pound for pound, one of the best pure football players, I have his jersey hanging on my wall right next to me, but David Palmer was 5'9". I don't really – I don't prescribe so much to the size. I look at the production. I think Mixon's a very good player. I think he's worth taking. I've heard the same thing about Alabama taking a slot guy. I'm not as familiar. I, you mentioned the kid from Ohio. I'm not as familiar with that young man. I know they like Newsom a lot from Alito, Texas. I think he's going to. Yeah, I think he's tentatively scheduled to camp in in July. We'll find out what happens there. But I agree. I think Mixon is someone to watch. I think, uh, and I and I and I think uh, what a lot of people need to realize too is that with Daron Payne and Mixon and the talent over there with Bill Smith, the head coach, is Shades Valley's programs come light years. I mean, after coach. Higginbotham left to go to Tuscaloosa County years ago. That program had fallen on par time, and they had a really breakout year last year. And if it wasn't for Hoover knocking them out, there's no telling how far they could have gone. And they played Hoover very competitively. So I just think Shades Valley is someone to watch. I agree. I could not agree more. And and if you look, we were there, uh, Jason Caldwell from our Auburn side and myself, 
went over there to take pictures and, and kind of just get the latest on a lot of guys on the team. They've gotten some transfers in on the offensive line that is going to make their O-line even better, probably one of the best in the state, certainly among six and seven, eight schools. Uh, and they're, they're not taking cupcakes this year. They're playing one of the top teams from Louisiana, a state champion early in the season. Like I said, they're playing Florence. You know that they're going to play at the Hoover and Spain parts of the world as well eventually. Uh, so their schedule is stacked, and they're, you know, they're coming off that season, and instead of trying to make sure they can get to you know, nine or ten wins again, uh, they're going to ramp up and, and try to get as many wins as they can against top, top competition, which is, uh, for those who know Bill Smith, that is exactly something that, that Bill Smith would do. He's a high-energy, you know, let, let's put the tape on type of guy. Um, so Shades Valley is certainly going to have their chances to, to have uh, top exposure, not only because of Deron Payne, but because of their schedule. So we'll see. John, uh, you're one of the best I know uh, at answering this question, and a lot of people will shirk away from this question, but you always answer it spot on, and you've always been honest about it. How do you see the rest of the Alabama class uh, shaking out, if you had to guess? <laughs> yeah, it, I always like doing it because, you know, people who, who follow us on Twitter and, and read our articles and subscribe to our websites, we are we are loyal to you guys. You, you guys literally pay the bills. <laughs> so... I feel like why not, you know, take some shots at, at some, some guys. So I, I, I put this out there the other day. I think uh, assuming that, you know, 19 is the number that that is true right now, um, there's, you know, six or seven spots left depending on, you know, what happens with guys leaving early, all that fun stuff that we always talk about every year late in the cycle. Um, let's say there's six guys left. Um, I like Deron Payne. I think um, one of the offensive tackle prospects, Drew Richmond, Matt Burrell, uh, especially now, you know, that Tyler Carr has moved off to Auburn. I think one of those guys will be in the class. I'll, I'll go with Richmond for now since Burrell has not been to campus just yet. Um, so there's um, your offensive line, defensive line kind of solidified. Uh, then it gets fun because, you know, like I've, I maintain, I think there's going to be some wiggle room at the receiver or, excuse me, at the running back and tight end position. Uh, so if you can get in on a guy like Malik Jefferson and, and really impress him over the next couple of months, he could be a wild card in this class. And once he's in, you know, the sky's the limit for everybody else. I think Alabama's going to split at least one prospect from another SEC school. I'll stick with Rico McGraw for right now. You know, his mom is all Alabama. Uh, he's visited twice since he's committed to Georgia. The Jeremy Pruitt connection started uh, his relationship with Ty, but it certainly has not ended it. Uh, so that's the four right there. Uh, I think James Lockhart, you know, if his decision is to fall through in the next couple of weeks, Alabama would be the school for him. Uh, he canceled a visit to Texas A&M of late um, that he was scheduled to make after his Alabama visit, and he said that he's going to commit uh, in person to whichever school it is. So if he plans another trip to Tuscaloosa sometime in July, mid-July, late July, uh, I think we could all put two and two together there and see that uh, he would be in this class. So a lot of top defensive prospects, and then there's always a wild card. So if it's not Malik Jefferson, it could be a top running back. Uh, it could be a tight end like Will Gragg. Uh, so I think there's going to be, you know, even in trying to predict who's going to be in the class, there's always uh, a wild card pick I like to throw out there. So right now with Jefferson, I just think that the momentum Alabama's building is, is good enough to keep his interest. And once they do finally get him on campus, sky's the limit. So if the sky's the limit for him, you know, you might as well throw McNeil in there as kind of a wild card 1A. Um, so there's your six or seven guys I think that today – uh, could round out the Alabama class, but as we all know, uh, there'll be some fun shakeups that we're not foreseeing right now in between now and then, and uh, it could put things on its head, but uh, we'll be ready for it, and we'll definitely uh, have some fun discussing it.
Do you think Alabama's done at the running back position? I think that Alabama's going to be patient at the running back position, um, which is not what I thought a couple of weeks ago. I thought once, you know, Nick Gibson came back for camp, uh, the in-state running back out of Pinson Valley, uh, he was certainly on some sort of commitment watch. I thought Bradrick Saw would end up on campus once more, another in-state guy from Hoover. He, he really hadn't. You know, he checked out Mississippi State and Vanderbilt and uh, was in South Carolina most recently. Uh, so because of that and the combination of Carrion Johnson and Javon Robinson picking Auburn so close to each other, I think it sort of caused Alabama to, to take a little slowdown at the running back position. I, I once thought they would be done by this time uh, in filling the need, but I think um, if, if one of those top guys uh, does not want to budge and come over to Alabama, and then by those guys I mean Javon Robinson and Carrion Johnson, to me they're still the clear one-two on the board, uh, especially Robinson. We all know what he did last year at Georgia Military College. Um, I think they could go without adding another running back in the class. Now, you think of the Lane Kissing effect, um, and it could help uh, get a guy like Keith Mixon an offer, maybe take one of those in-state guys who can catch the ball a little better out, out of the backfield, or it could open the door for an out-of-state guy. Damian Harris out of Kentucky is the number one high school running back on scout. You know, he's visited Tuscaloosa, but, but will he shy away from the Big Ten and or in-state Kentucky, it just seems like it, it, it's a very uphill battle for Alabama. Jack West Patrick, same thing, but but in Florida. You know, can uh, the tide pull him away from Florida State, you know, being the sort of local school, you know, him coming out of Orlando. He's another guy that can make plays in space with the ball in his hands and, and catch balls out of the backfield, more of the lane kitchen, you know, all-purpose back, if you will. Uh, so those things, I think, uh, are still up in the air. Now, we'll find out much more about these guys in the next couple of weeks during this dead period as they sort of regroup and shuffle up their visits and find out how they're going to hit the home stretch of the recruiting cycle. But, again, I, I'm sort of going back to maintaining that if Robinson or Terrion Johnson don't budge from Auburn, I'm thinking that Desarius Flowers might be the only true running back in the class, barring the whole mixing scenario. I think those are the top two most likely scenarios and the third would be opening up that spot once more and, and trying to get in on one of the out-of-state guys, or not trying to get in on, but trying to solidify one of those out-of-state guys that seem like a little bit of a long shot at this point. Well, John, we uh, want to thank you so much for your time today. I know that uh, you're in the Eastern time zone and it's uh, getting close to bedtime, but uh, we want you to uh, keep us in your phone, and we want to have you on at least uh, – once or twice a month as we go forward and finish up this 15 class and start to talk about the uh, 16 class. I just want to really thank you for your time tonight. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate you having me on, and you have my number as well, so just give me a ring anytime. I will do that. That's uh, John A. Garcia, Jr., the uh, recruiting writer for BamaMag.com, an employee of Scout.com, and uh, soon to be a regular contributor to BAM's radio. That was some very good insight in that half-hour segment. Uh, we are now winding down this week's edition of BAM's radio. It's currently three minutes after the hour, and uh, Drew and I want to get in front of the TVs and see if we can pull Vanderbilt through. The game is now 2-2 two to two in the bottom of the seventh as they're playing Virginia for the National Championship in baseball. And we are about, uh, like I said, three minutes over our normal time to stop. So uh, the music is starting in the background, and we are going to wrap up another edition of BAMS Radio. I want to thank John Garcia of Scout.com, William Redfish Barger of AlabamaIntel.com, and also I want to uh, thank uh, Jeff Coach Steinberg for yep, coming on. Steinberg. 
uh, Jeff Steinberg, who Drew was able to procure. And, Drew, I guess your next assignment is going to be to get uh, Blake's personal quarterback coach on with us pretty soon. Yeah, Dennis, Dennis Guy will be looking to do that. I have his number. We're going to try to get him on. And I want to thank John Garcia as well. I thought it was very insightful, very well spoken, and a lot of good knowledge, uh, especially with the Duran Payne, Keith Mixon situation. So uh, it's definitely something to watch. And I'm kind of on the Keith Mixon uh <laughs> Uh, brigade here. I hope he ends up being a part of the class. We will see. But I, I agree with John's thoughts on the running back situation. I thought they would take Nick Gibson a couple weeks ago. That's not the case. I don't think right now. I probably expect him to be in Starkville. But we will see, you know, where uh, that, this goes. But Jock West Patrick is someone to watch, but he's going to be a tough pull. Exactly. So, we're going to sign off on this edition for Drew DeArmond of AlabamaIntel.com, for Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine back in the studio, and for myself, Kerry Clark of Scout.com and BamaMag.com. You've been listening to another edition of BAM's Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Roll Tide, everybody. Roll Tide.